0: Uh, We're going to take our text this evening by uh, looking at Psalm 43. I'd ask for you to turn there with me. Psalm 43 is where we will take our text tonight. And uh, we are continuing, or, or really kind of finishing up the message that we began last week. We're going to uh, connect the last of this uh, subject of the conscience. We want to deal with that tonight. And so as we are looking at the scriptures, we're going to go back to Psalm 43, which uh, is a continuation. No, it no, it is not a, uh, a a legitimate continuation, but it carries many of the same ideas and concepts from Psalm 42, so it's not like they just didn't have a place to stick it into the 42nd Psalm, it is two legitimate different uh, texts. They are, are before us tonight. You'll see in Psalm 43 the same kind of theme carry on from Psalm 42. So look at verse number five with me, and uh, I want you to see this. We, we really kind of touched on the first portion of this text last week, and so we're not going to take time to re-preach all of those details. I wanna, we're going to touch base with them and then continue on. But Psalm 43, verse 5, says this, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. It is so important that we as God's people recognize where our strength comes from, where our health comes from, where our life comes from, where everything we have comes from. If not, we're going to be doomed to hold our lives in fear, afraid of the next bug or the next disease or the next uh, virus or the next bacteria to take us out. If we don't recognize that God is the beginning and the end of our life and he chooses when and he chooses how, then we're going to live our lives in fear. The psalmist has dealt with this. He was chased all over the countryside. He was hunted like an animal by the king, and yet he constantly reminded himself, "My hope is in God. I don't need to put my trust in timing. I don't need to put my trust in coincidences. I don't need to put my trust in a political system or in a or in a, a social group. I don't need to put my I don't need to put my trust in men. I put my trust in God. Hope My soul, hope in God, okay? And so this is the essence of where peace is found. It is found when the believer recognizes our hope has one legitimate place, and that is in God. We're gonna look also at at, uh, Psalm 42, verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance, and my God. You say, but that sounds very familiar to what you just read. It's identical to what I just read. It's the same verse. Uh, The same verse is stated in verse number 43, is stated in chapter 42. So what we have here is uh, really, uh, obviously, a theme that has connected the two of these. We preached Psalm 42 just a couple weeks ago, Psalm 43 last week, and uh, tonight we're going to finish out uh, the understanding of how we can make certain that we're right with God, that we're following God, and that we are listening to the the tool of the conscience that God has given us to to chasten and chastise. The, the child of God back in line with the Lord. In fact, we said last week that much of the agitation uh, that is felt by the believer, much of the agitation felt by the believer is the conscience being uh, engaged by the, by the Christian, through sin, and so when we uh, we talk about well, I don't have peace or I just can't get rest, uh, the reality is is that many times uh, the loudest noises in our soul are the agitations of a guilty conscience. The loudest noises in the soul are the agitations of a guilty conscience. And so we're going to look tonight at this idea of having the conscience right before God. I want to deal with how do we get our conscience right before God. As I said last week, this is not going to be a uh, expository message. I, I am an, a, an expository preacher. I don't do a lot topically, uh, but uh, I want to deal with these issues that we have in front of us uh, and maybe even uh, kind of drawing in outside of the purview of Psalm 43 for us to understand how we can have that peace by making sure that our conscience is right with our God. And so uh, we want to look at that uh, together tonight. Before we go on, into the text. I'm going to ask God's blessing, and then we're going to uh, we're going to hear from uh, a music group that sang here just a little while back, and I know it'll be a blessing to your heart, so I'm going to go ahead and pray and then enjoy the music special uh, that will play there on your screen. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the wonderful night you've given. I thank you for the privilege we have to hold your word in our hand and to get to gather before you. Lord, how easy it is for us to fail to see the beauty of your word, how easy it is for us to take it for granted or to imagine that just because we have so much access to it that it is normal and common, Father, it is your word. We come to it as if we are hearing the very breathed words of God tonight. It is your word being spoken, Father, Then I pray that you would guard and protect me, your minister. I pray that you would uh, guard my heart and mind. and Father, don't let me say anything outside of the boundaries of your word, I need you, Lord, to guide me. And uh, Lord, we're gonna we're gonna rely on the truth of your word tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, Psalm. Forty-three together tonight. This is a psalm of uh, of the musicians, uh, chief musicians, with son of Korah and the son of Korah. The sons of Korah were, of course, the, the uh, descendants of Korah who stood against Moses, uh, and Moses uh, opposed them. The Korah and his co- uh, compatriots were swallowed up whole. And what an incredible thing—a a demonstration of God's goodness—that. Korah though in rebellion stood against Moses and was and was uh, punished for that opposition but then God gave grace to his sons, the sons of Korah. I just think that's wonderful. And then the sons of Korah become a massive part of the worship of God. I think it's just a wonderful demonstration of how God can use uh, even, uh, even those who don't feel like they have a place or feel like uh, that they, they are somehow under the, the thumb of God's judgment as well, and God uses them. I'm just so grateful for that, and uh, we can see that tonight. I want us to see this evening. Um, that we looked last week kind of catching us up on all that uh, all that we we understand about uh, about God's wisdom we saw God's wisdom last week and the and we must resign ourselves to the wisdom of God and of course we were answering the question found in scripture judge me o god and plead my cause against an ungodly nation and uh, the the psalmist here is is exposing himself to the wisdom of God he's not just asking god to judge him he is, he is opening himself up to the analyzing view of the eye of God, the wisdom of God, to reveal to him anything that might be wicked so that in his judgment of the psalmist then he can compare himself to the sinner that does not expose himself to the wisdom of God. And so we find here this uh, this ungodly nation and the psalmist are being are really being uh, compared to one another, and God is going to demonstrate his love and mercy and grace on the one who is repentant and willing to stand before the Lord as a as a humble individual, knowing the judgment of God is righteous and holy, and that God's judgment would divide between the the righteous and the unclean. And so, uh, this is a this is an important and beautiful uh, reality that when God looks at our heart, you're not being judged by someone who's temperamental, has a bad attitude, uh, has is holding some grudge against you. You are you are exposed to the wisdom of the holy divine god of heaven to have him judge us is to have him by his right stand by his right view of life by his right understanding uh, of what it means to be morally pure and clean you are being uh, analyzed by the heart of a God who is right, good, and loving towards you, and so we saw uh, the omniscience of God. God knows everything. There's nothing that is outside of the scope of God's knowledge. There is nothing outside the, uh, outside of God's ability to comprehend, and uh, He doesn't have to learn. He doesn't have to grow. Uh, he is not trying to. Uh, he's not trying to figure it out as He goes. God. He exists with all knowledge. His knowledge is all pure and right. And so, therefore, he's not trying to filter his knowledge. He's not trying to condense his knowledge, and he definitely will not concede it to anyone else. God's knowledge is right. Therefore, his wisdom is right, and uh, he will make right, ethical, morally good decisions. We made this statement last week, no decision is wise that is not morally and ethically good and benevolent. And so, my soul can rest because god 's wisdom is good enough, okay, and so we looked at that last week. We see that in psalm 41, uh, 43, excuse me verse one through three, and we see there that that the psalmist is, is comparing himself to the unrighteous and asking God to find him righteous and holy and It reminds us of the need to make sure that our hearts are right with a holy God and so we dealt with the idea of our conscience, the conscience that 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 tool that God has placed in the heart of every man according to Romans chapter 1. He has given every man three gospels. He has given him the gospel of creation. He has given him the gospel of of the canon, that is the word of God, and he has given him the gospel of of the conscience the bible says that he has written it on our conscience and so god has given every man a conscience and that conscience is meant to uh, afflict or to to uh, punish the heart to push against the heart and to to force that heart to want to find itself right With God. And so we can find that even as we uh, look through Scripture. We talk about the rest that God's forgiveness or a pure conscience will give to the believer. Uh, We looked last week and I want you to see it again. Go with me to Psalm 32, verse 1 through 4. Psalm 32, we're going to see here. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy Upon me, my moisture is turned to drought of summer, Selah. And so we have here God working on the heart of the psalmist. And David recognized, My heart is under duress because of my sin before God. And so uh, we recognize that that's what happens. The conscience is intended to, to bring the believer or bring the unbeliever to a place where they recognize that they are not right no matter how much they tell themselves they are. And so that's the issue of our conscience. Psalm 38 speaks of this as well. We won't take time to dive into it tonight, we came to the place where we recognize that the function of the conscience is like an alarm on your car. Right, you go to the vehicle, you go to your car, and you uh, you try to wiggle the the doorknob or you get the door open, and that that alarm system is set. What happens? The impulse or the the push of the intruder getting into the vehicle sets off a sensor, and that sensor. Then alerts the horn, and the horn begins to honk, and we've all seen it we've been walking through the, through the uh, you know through the parking lot at, at the grocery store, and all of a sudden somebody's horn's going off right beep beep, 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 and there's that horn just going crazy. What is it that's the sensor telling the horn that something is out of line, and then the the, the the alert of the horn is for us to then be able to take action to stop the intruder, right? It's much like that for our own conscience. It's the same exact mechanism for our conscience. The, the uh, conscience is inflicted or there is a push against the conscience and that is caused by sin. And so you commit a sin and all of a sudden the conscience does two jobs. Two jobs simultaneously. It's the same two jobs that the alarm system did on the vehicle, okay? It senses or discerns that there is something wrong about the action, attitude, or, or method of whatever it was that we just did. And so the, the conscience is a discerning tool. It says, whoa, 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 that's not right. And so the conscience alerts us to the sin. And then it is an afflictor. It afflicts us. It, it not only tell, It not only discerns what is right and wrong, But then if we don't deal with it, the conscience begins the alerting, it begins the horn, and it begins to afflict the heart and say, listen, something is wrong, you know it's wrong, you leave it there, you cannot ignore it, I won't let it up, I won't let you sleep. When you wake up in the morning, you'll have had no sleep because I'm going to keep you up, you're going to have bad relationships because I'm going to inflict you, and you're going to be on edge and barking at everybody, and I am going to ride you till you get this right. There are people who cannot yet figure out why they have no peace in their life. And it is because they have been hiding a sin or refusing to deal with a sin for years now, and the conscience won't let up. And that's what the conscience does. Why does the conscience do this? So that you can see there's an intruder so you can see that there's a problem, okay? Your problem is not your conscience. <laughs> your problem is not that you're too sensitive. The problem is their sin. Get rid of the sin. So often we wanna we wanna dole the conscience. Don't dole the conscience, it's your friend. You don't wanna, you don't, if your car alarm goes off in your driveway, you don't go outside, open up the hood of your car and smash the car horn with a hammer. No, you go out and you call the police to get the intruder out of your vehicle. This is the same issue with your conscience. You don't tell the conscience to be quiet. Don't, don't make me feel this way. You can't make me feel bad. I don't like this. And, and I don't think it's fair that God gave me a conscience. Get rid of the sin that you have to deal with the intruder. And uh, so we recognize That The the action that your conscience is trying to drive in your heart is that you would confess your sin before God and that in confession, Christ can wash you clean and you stand clean before the Lord. You don't have to carry guilt or shame. You don't have to carry the burden of a guilty conscience. Just a load of sin just taken off your shoulders. Feels good, doesn't it? That's some guys in here. Uh, My son's here with me tonight and my beautiful daughter here with me tonight. Uh, It feels good when we make right with God, doesn't it? It, uh, it helps us. It, it cares for our souls. A way of caring for one's soul is to, uh, is to have that load of sin just lifted right off your shoulder, knowing that God's not going to judge you. God's not waiting in heaven, waiting for you to mess up, boom, going to get you. No, you can confess your sin, and it's right between you and God, and you are his. And I, I just love that. And so we recognize the work of the conscience. So what does the conscience do? The conscience is, uh, is doing the work of discernment. The conscience does the work of discernment. I want you to see in Romans 2, 15, and uh, you'll have that on the screen there in front of you. Romans 2, 15 says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So what is your what is your conscience doing? Your conscience is either it is bearing witness when sin comes in it's either going it is either going to say, "Hey, this is sin," or it's going to allow the sin it's going to allow the activity by because it is not sin. It is in the action of discerning. It is bearing witness to you. Okay? Now don't don't let that don't let that confuse you. It's bearing witness to you just like in a trial, uh, a a witness would come to the stand and it would say Say, I saw that, and that guy did this crime, that guy did this penalty, or did this this deed, and therefore he's guilty and, and deserves the penalty. So your conscience does that for you. It simply says, hey, listen, the way you spoke to them, wrong. You've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with it. Hey, the, the way you treat people wrong, you've got to deal with that. You've you've got to. The way you talk to your children, it's wrong. You've got to deal with. It. The way you treat your spouse, it's wrong. You've got to deal with that. That's what your conscience is doing. You don't need your preacher to come up here and point all of your life flaws out. You've got a conscience riding shotgun that does a really good job of dealing with that. By the way, it does this not only for the lost man, but or for the saved man, but also for the lost man. The Bible tells us that the the conscience is constantly bearing. Witness to the fact that we are sinners and that uh, we break the law of God consistently, and so that's what uh, the the conscience is doing for the saved man and for the unsaved man. We are all relying on the power of the conscience. Psalm fifty one three says this: "For I acknowledge my transgression; my sin is ever before me." Psalm fifty one. And uh, verse number three tells us that recognize that uh, the sin is ever before me what he means by that statement that his sin is ever before him is that the sin uh, that the conscience takes your action and replays it for you your conscience will take that action and put it right in front of you And you say, well I don't I don't know what you're talking about conscience I don't remember saying that and your conscience will go back, oh hold on I got this on tape you've got this massive brain in your head I'll get it for you and he just brings it back up and he'll, he'll replay that instance. You shouldn't have said this that way. You shouldn't have acted that way. That attitude, uh, you've got to deal with this and that's what the conscience is doing It's constantly replaying our failures and a lot of times people don't like that. It, it's replaying our sin and boy, it feels like I'm, calling, I'm always beating myself up. I'm just really hard on myself. You'll hear that a lot from someone whose conscience is dealing with them. You say, preacher, I say that a lot. I'm just asking you to, to look at your conscience tonight. It may be that your conscience recognizes Something is wrong. Something's not right. And you say, "Well, I've just, you know, I have these words. I say them to myself a lot, and they're just ugly and they're mean." And uh, and there are instances. I'm not. I'll give that to you. There are instances where we can be very hard on ourselves. Uh, And uh, and I remember doing that myself before uh, the Lord began to get a hold of my life. Out of the Book of Galatians, I was very hard on myself. The problem was, it was because I was under legalism, and I was hard on everyone. I was hard on people around me and I would judge them up and down and my conscience says whoa, 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 whoa you don't get to be hard on them if you're not going to be hard on yourself and my conscience would would show me back all those times I was judging other people and I was bearing that burden myself and I wasn't just being hard on myself my conscience was trying to get me to relent and to come to the Lord and recognize Lord, I don't believe your word for what it says I'm not putting my faith and trust in your word I'm trusting me and what I think and it isn't right and the day i I confessed that, God began to heal me from that that conscience that was constantly after me because of my judgmentalism towards others. Your conscience is doing a work, and many times it can sound like it's just being mean. It's actually just playing back the truth, and if the truth happens to not be very good well then it is what it is okay so we recognize that that is what happens your conscience is always putting it before you your sin in front of you first john chapter 3 verse 21 beloved if our heart condemn us not then we have confidence toward God. That's where we all want to be. That's where the Christian wants to be. If you can have a conscience that's not condemning you, then you have confidence before the Lord. And, and you use the, it's a tired old illustration. I know it. But when my children are are doing something they shouldn't do. There's a divide between the two of us. There's division there. They don't want to come spend time with dad as much as they used to because, man, dad will point out their sin or dad will say, man, that attitude doesn't seem right. Is there something else going on here? And, boy, that, that kind of analysis isn't good when you're trying to hide something, right? And that's what happens when our conscience is clean and clear and we have everything out before the Lord. Then we have confidence. We go right into prayer with him. Man, Lord, I'm coming to you. I just don't have anything going on. I just wanted you to know I love you. And I'm so glad I get to be here. I'm so glad you love me and I love you. And I'm glad we have this relationship. And, and that's what happens when our conscience is clear. We have a confidence before the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse number 12 for our rejoicing is this the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. But by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, Word. What is our conscience doing? It is testifying, it is giving us testimony, not only of us, but knowing that in simplicity and godly sincerity, God knows what our conscience is saying, too. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 27 the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of. Of the belly, I think that's so good, isn't that right? That's that's what our soul's doing, our conscience is doing. It's the light of the Lord. It's got that candle back there, and there's some cobwebs back there. You don't want Jesus to see, and the Bible says it is the, the conscience won't let you up. It'll shine that light, God's light, right on those areas of your heart. You don't want anybody else to see. That's why we. That's why you set your Bible down and stop going to it so often. Is because it keeps shining on you. That's why you. Uh, that's why you don't spend as much time in prayer. Because man, every time you do, man that conscience starts beating up on you. I don't like feeling bad about myself. Don't feel bad about yourself. Get right with God. And God's conscience, the conscience clean before the Lord gives you confidence before God. I don't think you need to be in like some kind of wicked, crazy uh, sin and just having an attitude that's wrong. It grieves the heart, it it drives the conscience, and you may not even recognize it. You may have tuned your conscience out years ago. It might be time to listen to it again. Instead of saying, well, maybe I just have a thing wrong with me, hold on, take your conscience back before the Lord. I'll show you how to do that in just a little bit. David did that very thing, but we want to see tonight that that conscience is doing the right thing. The conscience isn't broken. The conscience isn't what's wrong. What's wrong is that which is causing the conscience to go out of line or out of, uh, to, to treat us the way that it does. If we begin to act like the conscience, as these inner voices, they, they, this inner voice tells me I'm wrong and I need to get this right and I need to confess and I need to forsake and I need to, that, that conscience is doing its job and it is supposed to do this work. And so we want to make sure we recognize the conscience is the afflictor. It is to It is to afflict the comfortable. It is meant to wake you up if you're comfortable in your sin. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse number one the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. John 8 9 says, And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone with the woman, standing in the midst. That's the, the text there uh, in John chapter 8, where they bring the woman before the Lord, and they say, hey, w- w- which one of us should cast the stone? Or, or or we are we supposed to stone her or not? Jesus bends down. He draws in the earth. Then he stands up long enough to say, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and stone her. I, I think that's a good thing. That, that's not what the text says, but I'm kind of filtering this in. I think I think God may have played with his food a little bit before he went after him. And, uh, and Jesus says, you can imagine him saying, you know, yeah, I think it would be a good idea. Let's bash her with these rocks. And the one of you that doesn't have sin, why don't you be the first to throw the stone? And then bends back down and starts drawing in the sand again. Now, I don't, that's not how it went. But boy, in my head, I really wanted to have been that way. I wanted him to be just a, little, just a little smack mouth with him, you know, passive aggressive. That feels good sometimes. And that, that's, that, these, these, uh, the Bible says that these men's conscience, oh, they begin to work. You say, does, it, uh, does an unsaved man have a conscience? The Bible just said that these unsaved men had a conscience. Their conscience kept them from throwing stones at this woman. We know the woman had a conscience, she repented of her sin, and, and Christ comes to her and says to her, you go and sin no more. Recognize that, that this woman didn't have to continue in sin, and so we see here that the conscience can be a tool in the life of the unsaved person. Much of what is going on in our culture is because of the conscience that we have tuned out so well. Uh, when I kept silence, my bones waxed, waxed old through my roaring all the day, for day and night was heavy upon me, my moisture turned into the drought of summer. We read just a moment ago in Psalm 32, 3 through 4. You see, our he- our conscience is like a heavy hand, and it holds down the heart of God's people. And I encourage you to uh, consider your conscience tonight. So what is, how do we get our conscience right with God? How do we adjust our conscience and how it's, how it's working on us and really kind of puts us in our place and reminds us of our sin, how do we deal with our conscience? Well, understand that our conscience is desensitized, is desensitized by the continual repetition of sin. Okay, so uh, if, if uh, you commit a sin, boy, a conscience really gets a hold of you. You do it again, it's going to go a little less and a little less and a little less and a little less. And it's that conscience is being desensitized. You are not feeling the effects of your sin like you used to. And it's important for us to recognize that this is not a healthy state for a believer. The believer is to recognize, I am a sinner. That's the best place for a believer to be is to recognize they are a sinner. God resists at the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, the Christian should never leave the position of humble. They should always stay in the position of, I'm a sinner. I'll fail you right now. I'll fail you. I fail by nature of a sin nature. I am going to blow it, so I am a sinner. My mom always had this place where she just knew. She'd tell us, boys, I know that if anybody comes and tells me you boys did something wrong, I just know to believe them. Because you guys will sin right in front of me. You'll sin when I'm not around. And my mom was convinced of that. I didn't didn't matter what the sin was. Yep. If my yeah, whatever you're saying, I believe my boys could do it. My boys could do it because it's sin, and my boys are sinners, and they just knew that. It helped us. It was good for us boys to know that my mom was going to deal with sin, and she was going to deal with sin, knowing she's not giving any room to sinners. And so we recognize that my, that we are sinners. And the best time, the best position of the believers to just to acknowledge. Acknowledge the fact. I'm a sinner. I am a sinner every day I wake up. I am a sinner every time I pillow my head. I will be a sinner every time you see me. When you see me on Sunday, you're a sinner. When you see me on Sunday, I'm a sinner. We are sinners. And the idea that we are good people or, or that we've got it figured out or we've got it ironed out or since I'm a deacon now or since I'm a Sunday school teacher now or since I'm a trustee now, I'm not that bad. No, 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 no. We are all depraved sinners in desperate need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Christ every single day. We are in desperate need of it. And the idea that we are not sinners is from the devil himself. It is not of the Christian. And so we recognize that we have got to be those who seek to have our consciences clear before God and sensitive to sin. So that way when our, our the alarm of sensitivity goes off, we can see it and we don't just let the sin continue on. So consider some scripture on this. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Their conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, Cauterization is a wicked thing. Uh, it's a bad deal because what uh, uh, you know, if you if you cut your finger, uh, you could maybe you could take it back and have it put back on. You could have it attached again. Uh, what would stop something like that is cauterization where all of a sudden all the nerves and, and uh, all of the, the veins and everything was melted down and uh, was no longer to be opened up and put back together the way it was. Uh, that's what happens. That searing, as with the hot iron, it is not just that it is going to it, to remove it or hurt it or damage it, but that it the searing is to actually take the life out of it. It's actually to remove the ability to feel it. In other words, you can you are killing your conscience by ignoring sin. You are deadening your conscience by not dealing with the sin. In our lives, you say, preacher, you talk to me like I'm a sinner. I just dealt with that. We're all sinners all the time. We're every one of us sinners, so let's not act like we aren't. And let's just deal with the fact that we're sinners, so that way our consciences don't go through this damage. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. It is defiled defiled that which was once pure is full of corruption it is full of defilement it is the idea of waste like human waste being mixed into pure water uh, if you took that human waste and put it in water i wouldn't want to have anything to do with it and that's what our consciences are like we have gone from pure to defiled it is it is not it is not only unclean it is ceremonially and religiously and morally unclean stay out of it. And that's what is happening here in this text. He is simply saying that which was once good is defiled. And then Ephesians chapter 4 verse 19, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, they were past feeling. They no longer could feel their conscience. So what was available to them? All uncleanliness. There was nothing held back. Nothing. The world's worst sin is held for those who have killed their conscience no longer to feel it again. They are past feeling. You say, why is our culture in the sin that it is in? Can I tell you, generation after generation after generation after generation of Americans are past feeling. Feeling we have, we have a generation of Christians who picked up sin where their parents left off. That generation picked up sin where their parents left off. That generation—it's not like we started over with sin. No, 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 no. We're not. Every generation isn't going back to 1920s sin. No, no, no. They're picking up 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, 210, 220, and every generation keeps picking up right where the previous generation left off. This is why we are where we are as a culture, because we have left off feeling, and therefore all uncleanliness is exposed. All uncleanliness is left for us to jump into. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. And watch what happened. Their foolish heart was darkened. You know what happens to our consciences? we darkened them. They actually become vexed. I couldn't remember the word last week when I touched on this verse. We couldn't remember that word. It was vexed. And Lot vexed his righteous soul it's as if he took the, the lamb's wool and laid it over his eyes. The Bible doesn't say the world vexed Lot. The Bible doesn't say that uh, the riches vexed Lot or that all of his friends vexed him. No, Lot vexed his own righteous soul by being in the sin, never calling it out, never dealing with it, never allowing it to come into the righteous judgment of God. He involved himself in it completely. He jumped in both feet. So we find here that this kind of corruption happens when our conscience is unclean. We've got to deal with our conscience. We must Deal with our conscience. Just as the ability to feel pain in our fingertips is a God given gift to help us preserve our life, so is our conscience allowing us to keep a sensitive walk with the Lord. So consider our fine tuned conscience. I want you to consider our fine tuned conscience. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, what does that mean? That tells us that our, our conscience can work either way. You can deaden your conscience, or you can tune your conscience. You can work exercise your conscience. That is, when your conscience tells you something is wrong, we call it out. Hey, that's wrong. How do you know? My conscience says it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I don't have to do anything about that. I don't have to participate in that. If I know it's wrong, I know it doesn't please God. I know it isn't okay. I know it isn't right. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. It amazes me how many Christians today are trying to pacify sin by running around and finding verses they can take and twist back and forth and twist this way to mean. this and twist this way to mean that, and then they can step back and say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. What are they doing? Violating their own conscience. No, my friend, exercise your conscience. Exercise it. Say, that's wrong. Don't do it. That's not okay. And by the way, it's not okay for my kids. It's not okay for my wife. None of us are gonna have anything to do about that. We're staying away from it. So he says, well, wait a second. Doesn't this verse, if you twi- take it and twist it and you look at it and you cross your eyes, don't you think that verse means this? No! My conscience says it's wrong. My conscience says it's wrong. That if the Bible says so much, so much about the iniquity of being drunk and the dangers that bring on, the dangers that I bring on when I participate in drinking alcohol, I don't have to wonder if it's okay to drink alcohol. The conscience can be finely tuned enough to say it's wrong. Well, wait a second, preacher, didn't Jesus? Oh, hold on, hold on. Do you know it's right or not? Do you know that sin is introduced through the Drunken heart and mind. Do you know there are more lives today being destroyed by drink than any other drug? Can I tell you tonight, I don't need to have my conscience tested. I don't need to run out there and find out and see and, and hopefully, it'll, no, no, no. I've spent far too much time picking up the pieces of broken homes because they can't keep the bottle out of their mouth. I'm telling you today, we don't need to try the conscience. Just know it's wrong and that is that that doesn't that's not superpower that's not a magic trick it's just knowing my conscience says it's wrong I'm not doing it. I don't think, I I really don't believe I have to try to be immodest to find out whether or not it's right or wrong. The Bible says, be modest. Don't be immodest. Therefore, I don't have to go out and try it. I don't have to let my kids and, and, and my daughter and my wife run around showing off and revealing their body. I don't have to do any of that. My conscience says it's wrong. Therefore, the conscience can be exercised. Run it in the reverse. We don't have to let it be deadened, but we can even let it be alive. We can use the conscience to guide our choices and decisions. You did not hear me say it's okay for my conscience to be used as a tool to judge you. I didn't say that. In fact, I think that'd be wrong. It's not okay if my conscience is being used to make you feel bad or, or to preach some new gospel or doctrine I've come up with and cooked up because I've got this conscience that I've exercised. No, the conscience is a tool. What it does is it tells me I'm wrong. It tells me I need to be made right with God. The conscience is not my my pulpit by which to stand up and preach against you or to preach at you. My conscience is the tool that God allows to speak to my heart and allows to guide my life and I can use that conscience with the Word of God, to let me know what's right and wrong. The Bible feeds my conscience as I'm reading Scripture. My heart finds this is right, this is wrong. My conscience begins to govern by those rules, and I begin to see my life protected because it's exercised, in the word of God. The Bible says, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Wait a second. Can my conscience tell me what's right and wrong? It can be exercised to discern both good and evil. What is that an indicator of? What is the indicator of a a sensitive conscience? Well, the Bible says this. Listen to the whole verse. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He is a babe. Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. In other words, somebody who allows their conscience to be sensitive to God's word and to protect them and their family from sin is the indicator of a mature Christian. A mature Christian is not the one who takes God's word and tries to finagle it to say something that's way outside the context of scripture. God's word is used to govern and shield and protect and lead the life of God's people. It is an indicator of maturity. Scripture is telling us, be skillful in the word. Why? Because the word sharpens the conscience. And your conscience can tell you, this is right, this is wrong. I don't even have to try what's wrong. I can just go forward. That's the sign of a mature believer, someone who knows what's right and wrong and lives it. Romans chapter 2, verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. What did I tell you? There's no one that doesn't have a conscience. It is written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts The meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. I I want you to know my heart has accused me enough. My conscience has accused me enough. I want to get excused sometimes. I want it to let me off the hook once in a while. Psalm 119, 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Listen, you will not have a conscience that is sharp and exercised and ready to lead you in right and wrong without God's written word. You don't need a feeling. You don't need uh, You don't need a word from the Lord. You don't need to have somebody give you some prophecy or some extra biblical revelation. You need God's word. Get in his word. Understand his word. It'll tell your conscience what's right and wrong. You'll be able to discern right and wrong because the conscience, the alarm is set, okay? Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 139, 23 search me o god know my heart try me know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting in other words we want to understand that god is using our conscience the conscience void of offense toward god and toward men according to acts 24:16 god is using your conscience if you'll allow him so then how do I make my conscience right before God? Preacher, I don't want my conscience dead or dulled or darkened or deluded. I, I don't want that. I don't want it, to, I don't want it to, uh, full of corruption. H- how do I get my conscience right before God? Well, very simple. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's very simple. The first thing we need to do is stop. We need to start rejecting the lies that we've believed We've got to reject the lies that we've believed. The Bible says in Psalm 51, okay, take your Bible, turn to Psalm 51. It's a couple chapters over. Psalm 51, the Bible says in verse number 1, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Look at verse 7. The psalmist asks, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We have got to reject the lie. What, what lies do we buy into? Well, we buy into the lies that we, get, we, can, we can sin and prosper, that we can sin and get outside the blessing of God, and our lives are going to operate as normal. That, that's a lie. And so many of us have bought that lie. My friend, stop believing that lie. Decide tonight that is a lie. It is not true that I can jump into sin, stay in sin, and have the blessing of God. No, my friend, abandon that lie. You know it's not true. The Bible says uh, we recognize, I'm going to take time, just, I, I, we're just going to keep going right on ahead. We recognize that uh, we must. Uh, we, we buy the lie that we can prosper without, we, without repentance. And we buy the lie that we can sin and not have any consequences. My friend, there is consequences for sin. And we will pay the consequences. We must recognize that sin comes with consequences and we cannot avoid them. So then, if we reject the lie, then we got to speak the truth. Admit the truth tonight. Admit that our sin is an indicator that we are unbelieving. That's what sin is. Sin is a great big indicator. And We dealt with this months ago. We dealt with the fact that when we sin, we are showing our unbelief. You are, you are unbelieving. When you're sinning, uh, when you're doubting God's word, when you're taking God's word, manipulating it, twisting it to try to appease your conscience somehow, or try to make yourself not feel so bad, or using it to justify actions and behaviors that are outside the bounds of God's word, all of that, all of that is indicating that you do not believe scripture. So, So accept that. Admit when you've done wrong. Admit that you're wrong, and then admit the truth about what's going on. I'm being unbelieving. I'm acting unbelieving. Okay, Uh, we're guilty of minimizing, aren't we? We we minimize our sin. Well, it's not that big of a deal. No, 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 no. Let's be honest about what is right and wrong. That way, our conscience can be right, and our conscience can can walk right before God. We've got to admit the truth. Stop minimizing our sin. Stop covering our sin. Stop blaming our sin on other people, and stop making excuses for our sin. I love the reality that where I am is up to me. The the choices I've made have made me the man I am. And what that does is it puts me in a place where I have to own where I am. Am I overweight? I'm overweight because I'm the one who put that in my mouth. I'm the one who put that donut there. I'm the one who put that hot dog there. I'm the one who put that sweet there. If I'm overweight, it's my choice. I have to own that. Am I in debt? Hey, guess what? I have to own that. I'm in debt because I did this, because I did this, because I did this. I bought this. I didn't have the money. I bought it. But see, as soon as I take ownership, now I'm in charge of the recuperation. Man, I can see healing, but as long as I'm blaming, well, you know, we went through a hard time, and man, that hardship really beat us up, preacher. No, 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 no. Hardship isn't going to fix your problem. And now you don't have control of the situation, so you can't fix the problem. No, the moment I say, hey, I was afraid, I grabbed a credit card and I ran out there and made a mess of things, the sooner I can say, but if I made the mess, I can fix the mess. You see, we've got to recognize that we made these choices. Our conscience is simply indicating that the choice has been made. And therefore, we can begin to deal with those consequences. Listen to me tonight. We also, buy the, we also forget and we refuse to recognize that our sin demands a blood sacrifice. We, we really still look at our sins many times as Christians. We still look at our sins as little mistakes. Oops, ooh, 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 oops, I didn't mean to. Oh, 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 no, no, no. My friend, you're lying, you're, you're cheating, you're stealing, uh, you're pornography, all of those lustful thoughts, all of those bad attitudes, all those roll of your eyes to your parents, all the times that you smack mouth your folks, can I tell you, Jesus had to die for that sin. It is no small sin in God's eyes. If it was just that one sin, Jesus would have had to have gone to the cross for it. My, my friend, your sin is no small thing. Don't minimize it. Don't back up from it. Don't look the other way. Jesus shed his blood for that sin. It is an indicator of how wicked you are. The, the, I heard some, some heretic recently say that the, the cross was an indicator of how much value I have before God. No. You're, the cross is an indicator of how sinful you are and how wicked your sinfulness is and how desperately far from God you are because of your sin recognize that the cross speaks of his value, not your value. It speaks of his goodness, not your goodness. It speaks of your sinfulness. So we've got to deal with that sinfulness. My sin put Jesus on Calvary. It's no small thing. It's no small white lie. Jesus died for this horrible sin, and therefore it is disgusting in the eyes of God. And the the quicker it is disgusting to you and I, the quicker we can get right In our conscience before the Lord and walk in sensitivity with Him. So then, what does the believer need to do? Apply the gospel. No, 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 preacher. No, no, no. I'm already saved. I've already prayed and received Christ as my Savior. Yes. And you need to use the gospel again. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the cross. Take your conscience with you. Go all the way back to Calvary. Stand in front of a cross. Watch your Savior bleeding and dying in your place. Take that conscience and force it to do business with the fact that Jesus died for your sin. Your sin requires a blood sacrifice. Jesus has met the ultimate sacrifice. He has paid the price for your sin and my sin. Christ died for sinners. He died for you. He died for that sin your conscience is holding on to. He died for that sin you're hiding from everyone else. Christ had to die for the sin that you're carrying around, acting as if it is no big deal. And I want you to understand, God delights in forgiving sinners. And the longer you act as if you're not sinning, the longer you act as if this is not sinfulness, the longer it's going to take for Christ to actually be able to wash you clean of that sin. No, 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 my friend. Christianity is not a bunch of Christians hiding sin. Christianity is about believers who have thrown themselves open to be analyzed by God and allowing their heart and the sinfulness of it to be exposed to God and his word and then to be confessed and made right with a holy God. And then, my friend, walk in the light. Preacher, I don't feel forgiven when I ask God's forgiveness. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. Then you need to understand what God's word says about forgiveness. Well, I don't know. I, you see, I don't know how God can forgive the things I've done. Then, my friend, you are denying the reality of 1 John 1, 9, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see, God's, God's forgiveness for your sin isn't about how just and, for, and faithful you are. It's about how faithful he is. You'd say, preacher, I'm just going to sin again. Should I, should I go and confess sin? I'll just be confessing all the time because I'm going to sin again. Oh, my friend, that's pride trying to creep in. That's pride trying to rear its ugly head that somehow maybe you can, you can finagle out a deal with God. My friend, God says sin must be confessed. If it's got to be confessed a million times a day, my friend, get ready to confess every 38 seconds because whatever it takes, it must be sin brought before God confessed and forsaken. And I tell you today, the beauty and reality is is that the gospel stands as real and true today for you as it did the night you called on Jesus to save you. And you've been carrying around that conscience and you've been carrying around the burdens of that heart beating you up and making you feel small. And all it was trying to do is get you to realize you're a sinner and this is sin. Let's deal with it. Let's make it right before God. And let us walk out of here with no guilt, no shame, and let us live with a peaceful heart. My friend, make right with God tonight.